Uh, I should have mentioned when you mentioned Danny Murphy. Uh, next oh. year will be the 25th anniversary of the triumph going up from the playoffs to the first division. Daly, Adibola, Mark Rivers, yes. Sean Smith with the winning goal. Were you there? Yes. Were you at the Twin Towers in 97? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, I was. And um, by a complete fluke, my ticket... Um, was for a seat right behind the crew bench, which which was uh, wonderful for me and added a huge amount to the occasion. You know, I was almost um, uh, almost boy. in touching distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually a photo at the very end, which I've seen of um, it's Grady standing just in front of the bench uh, with Danny Murphy, who'd come off. He had a slight injury. I mean, he was man of the match and played a brilliant game, but he brought him off with about 10 minutes to go. And, and they're standing there kind of looking anxiously because we, we were, um, had this 1-0 lead. And, um, and just in the corner of the hey. photograph, I noticed myself, <laughs> which was quite thrilling. I, I was going to say, by the way, touching distance is... I'm sure the listener will be aware, the wrong choice of words for Crew Alexandra. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and before we do talk about that, the League Two playoff, uh, the team of 2012 with Ashley Westwood, whom I've always liked. I don't know why I've always liked him. I think I must have seen him play once. Uh, right. But he's also had injuries. Uh, Nick Powell, who I've been told yeah. um, his diet was um, in inverse proportion to his talent. I think that's right. why Nick Powell didn't achieve what he should have achieved. But would you say of the last decade, Nick Powell is the player that most impressed you? Oh, clearly, yes. Yes. I mean, really, since probably Ashley Westwood, Luke Murphy and Nick Powell were the three outstanding players, um, certainly the last decade. But, but Powell, in terms of ability was um, was the best of the lot and as you say there seemed to have been a combination of reasons why he didn't he didn't make it at Manchester United I think he was a little bit unlucky there because Ferguson who who bought him paid three million pounds for him um, clearly believed in him but um, Ferguson I think retired after one season of buying Powell and I don't think David Moyes uh, Powell was really uh, a David Moyes type no, of player. No, absolutely not. Fellaini was. This is a guy who played at every youth level for England, um, mm. played four seasons for Wigan. He's now at Stoke. Um, and yeah. the fact that he's not involved in Euro 2020 is a scandal that only he can explain. Yes. So that's Nick yes. Powell. Also in that 2012 playoff winning team, David Artell, the aforementioned. <laughs> Who yeah. has guided Crew as we speak? It's the last day of March, so Crew are mid-table. But there is a, I don't know, a three percent chance of getting into the playoffs. If you do go up, will it be a miracle? It wouldn't be a miracle. I mean, we're we're, we're six points off the playoffs, um, so so it could happen. You know, with sort of nine or ten games to go, it, it certainly could happen. It's very very close. And some of those um, games, I should say, Hull, Fleetwood. Um, Wigan and Rochdale. This goes out just after the home game against Rochdale. So there's a huge chance, I suppose. Yes. Oh, indeed, indeed. I mean, th this year, I mean, we've become very inconsistent. Now, I would say the chances are slim. Um, I don't think we're quite good enough. Um, and a part of me 
fears promotion this time as well because we're going to lose so many of the good players um, from the team who are out of contract, who have gone already. One's come back on loan, Harry Pickering. The left-back has been sold to Blackburn, but he's back on loan for the remainder of the season. Perry and G has gone to Cardiff. An outstanding player, actually. Ryan Wintle will go in the summer. The um, other central midfielder, Charlie Kirk, the winger, could go as well. Um, he's not out of contract. Um, but, you know, there could be a good offer for him. And, and the same old story for crew. If a good offer comes in, they go. Yeah, well, so it'll so, be more than £12,000 at least. Uh, indeed. <laughs> what about the goalkeeper? Uh, will he go? I suppose he's just waiting for a call from Bolton, where his dad, Jussie, Well, yes. I mean, to be honest, I, I'm not the greatest fan. I mean, he's young um, and he's still got time. He is very young, yes. he's had a rather mixed season. He's been in and out of the team. I mean, I, I thought Artel kept faith with him rather too long for the in the early part of the season. Um he he then lost his place after after you know some bad performances and Dave Richards came in, um, but he's now got his place. Well, certainly in the last game he came back. Um, I think he's he's got a way to go. He might make it. I mean, he he he's not the tallest of goalkeepers by by today's standards, which I think doesn't help. But we'll see. We'll see. He's still got time to come good, but I'm not convinced. Yeah, yet. And for non-crew fans, that is Yussi Yass- Skalinen's son, so a famous yes. name. Watford, by the way, have Dennis Burkamp's son Mitchell. In oh my the God, youth I didn't ranks, know that. Who yeah, um, yeah. he signed about six weeks ago, and uh, yeah. all signs are that he will play Premier League football next year if everything goes well. Um, yeah. Something that Crew will not do. Uh, Generation <laughs> Game is your book. It's a fan memoir. It's available at charlesmorris.org.uk. At, is it £11? Buy it through my website. You'll get the link through um, to Amazon.co.uk. So um, other than a couple of bookshops in the crew area, that's the only place you can buy it. But if, it, if I were to get a signed copy, would it be in one of the shops in the crew area? They might have some signed ones left. I mean, there's Waterstones in crew and... Um, um, the wonderful Nantwich bookshop, oh, Nantwich, is the market that. town next door to Crew, a lovely place. They stock it as well, but I, I suspect their signed copies will have run out. If anyone wanted a signed <laughs> copy, just just contact me through my website, and um, and when they buy one, I can um, I'll sign it. I will get the Met line over to Finchley Road, so I know <laughs> I know what to do. Um, <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm forward selling the bit that I don't want to talk about, but I have to talk about. But I will interrupt just by saying that Murad Ahmed is now the sport editor of the Financial Times. The paper yes. has since uh, this year covered the collapse of Sporting Index. Do you remember when you were sports editor at the FT? Uh, that's not a dementia question. That is, do you remember what, <laughs> what investigations you launched, what you covered in particular? Um, indeed, yes. I mean, it, it was very much, I think, to do with Premier League finances at that time. I mean, I was the editor for oh, only about three years, by which time they'd cut down the sports coverage. So by that time, it was mainly pure sports um, that I was in charge of. But the business side has always been covered. Clearly, it was it was 
mainly really uh, I suppose the dominant story was the extraordinary finances of Premier League football which in the late 1990s and the early early 2000s this was when the really big um, TV deals were taking off um, obviously you had the collapse of was it ITV? Yeah, ITV Digital. It really stymied yes. a lot of. Well, did Crew Crew must have survived because they had all those sell-on fees? Yes, they did. But I mean, it, it was. You're quite right. It was a massive blow, particularly to the smaller clubs. In terms of football, I think those were the principal stories that we covered in those days. Uh, did you commission? Simon Cooper's series where he talked to loads of footballers and compiled them into the Football Men book. Simon's history is that he joined the Financial Times as a, as a graduate trainee, didn't write about sport, really. Um, at first, I mean, he currencies correspondent. Um, he was writing about foreign exchange wow. and all that sort of thing. And then when we started covering sport more in the late 1990s, of course, it was wonderful having him because he'd already written by the time he joined the Financial Times, his first book, Football Against the Enemy. Which and... is in the football library for which you get your li- library card. So if you wanted to read Football Against the Enemy, uh, right. you can come into the library and read it. But he's written more and more since. Yes, yes. And so, of course, it was wonderful to have him on staff to write about football for us. And and then he left the Financial Times to go freelance, but we kept him on um, as a freelancer, etc. And I was very lucky. I mean, for a period when I was editor, my two principal writers were Simon Cooper and Matthew Engel. Um, And that that makes editing a really easy gig when you've got writers of that quality. So I was very, very lucky indeed. And as someone whose great-grandpa was a train driver, Matthew Engel wrote that book about trains. You're absolutely right. He's, he's a train nut as well, yes. Um, I think it's called 11 Minutes Late. Wonderful book. Um, yeah. Very, very funny writer, but very incisive as well. And... I mention Simon because he is one of the superlative givers for your book Generation Game, Male English Emotional Repression is a theme. Uh, David Winner called it touching and intriguing. Do you want to return the favour by sharing your love of David Winner, who has been in the football library? Brilliant Orange is is one of the classic football books. I mean, it's uh, it's a landmark in, in football literature. And I also really enjoyed Those Feet. I mean, that yeah. was one of the books that that influenced my book as well, you know, in, in terms of the history of English football. David um, was kind of robbed of the, of the William Hill Sports Prize because that year Lance Armstrong won it. Surely <laughs> David's got to claim it now. They should take it well, away it, from Lance. Uh, I agree entirely, and David has, 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 has yeah. kind of ran a, a sort of semi-tongue-in-cheek campaign online I, I, I've got a huge amount of sympathy for him on that and yeah, um, so he was uh, he was one of Armstrong's victims one, well. one of the books that hasn't been written but I'm sure it will be is Danny Taylor who is the best sports writer of his generation um, uh, not just when he kind of complains about Nottingham Forest which he does on a monthly basis <laughs> uh, he devoured your book Generation Game 
And uh, maybe he helped uh, Andy Woodward. Oh, it's Tom Watt. Tom Watt helped Andy Woodward write Position of Trust, A Football Dream Betrayed. And Andy was the chap who came forward and told his story to Vicky Derbyshire and to uh, Danny Taylor. And we've just had the Sheldon report. Uh, So I've I've got Position of Trust here. It is in the football library. But uh, rather than talk about what went on, which has come out in this horrible document i just want to kind of ask you for some annotations on the statement that went up last week on crewalex.net which is the crew alexandra official website the board of crew alexandra can confirm that john bowler has stepped down as chairman and director from crew alexandra group limited including crew alexandra football club we'd like to thank john for over 40 years of loyal service and dedication to the football club so if you were writing about this and you can't libel, would you question the loyal service and dedication John Bowler gave to Crew? I certainly wouldn't wouldn't question a big part of that. There's no doubt that he was an outstanding servant to the club and along with Dario Grady um, transformed the club from really a joke um, club into one of the you know, if not the most widely admired club in the country. I mean, in 2006, it won the most admired club in the league award. And um, that is down to John Bowler, who who backed Dario Grady's vision. And they transformed the club, built the academy, the training centre, and and rebuilt the ground. Um, Cannot... Um, but admire that achievement and it should be recognised. However, um, I think that their reaction, as I say in the book, um, which came out two years ago, their reaction to the child abuse scandal was hopelessly wrong. I remember watching a video of the fan forum. I think Danny Taylor was at it. Were you at this fan forum that he, he virtually rubbished all claims? Well, um, the fan forum I attended that, that, you know, I start the book with um, when I spoke up, which was, um, I think, just about a week after uh, Barry Bernal's, who, of course, is the crew youth coach who was the appalling child abuser. Um, it was just a week or so after his trial in 2018, the main trial. Obviously, he's faced three or four trials, but this was the main one where he was sentenced to 30 years. The club didn't want to talk about it. They were barring journalists like Daniel Taylor um, from attending. Um, but because um, I was no longer a working journalist, I got in without problem. And I raised it, and basically he, he, in fairness, he allowed me to speak, he allowed me to say my piece, but he had a prepared statement just saying basically they didn't want to say anything, which has been the attitude all along, to sort of pull the shutters down and not talk about it and hope it would go away. Until now. Crew Alexander Football Club would also like to clarify its position following the publication of the Sheldon Report. The club apologises unreservedly for the hurt and suffering caused to all victims and survivors of Barry Bernal during his two periods of employment with the club. Well, I suppose they are genuinely sorry now because it's come out in court. It's besmirched the whole reputation of the people who employed this pederast, whom um, I will just read uh, what Andy Woodward 
uh, says about him. Uh, Some people have the gift for talking to people. Bunnell had it. He'd seemed so warm, softly spoken and gentle, making the person he was talking to feel as if they were special. He knew how to laugh and joke and make people feel comfortable. He was good-looking, a charming and very charismatic man. And he Uh knew who he wanted. So history will um, judge Andy um, Barry Bunnell as an unspeakable human being who was kind of... He's turned into like the Jimmy Savile of professional football. But... We started by talking about the Jack Charlton documentary. Football's Darkest Secret um, was um, on telly last week. People around Britain will have seen it, not just football fans. You can't defend in any way the actions and the cover-up and everything. Uh, No, I don't think you can. Um, And, um, I mean, I think the problem um, all along um, was that there was almost a state of psychological... Um, uh, denial on the part of Grady and Bowler and an unwillingness to face up to what had happened and their responsibility for it. I mean, the club had a duty of care to these boys. It was wanting and encouraging these boys, these talented boys, to come along. It was nurturing their dreams um, to become professional footballers. And they ended up um, systematically raped and abused. And we're talking of boys as young as 11. Um, It's absolutely horrific. And they employed Banal without taking any references um, for him. They let boys stay at his house. They paid him five pounds a night for each boy, expenses for accommodating them. And they carried out no checks. It was a massive failure of safeguarding, as Clive Sheldon um, said in his report. And they may have been naive. I'm convinced they obviously uh, uh, would not have wished this to have happened in the slightest degree. But when you're in a leadership role, you have to take responsibility for huge safeguarding failings like this. And um, they fail to completely. And in my view, um, severely damaged uh, the reputation of the club by doing so. I mean, I think if both, when this is had come out in 2016, you know, when Andy Woodward and Steve Walters came out and revealed what had gone on at Crew. If, if Bowler and Grady had come out then and said, look, we accept um, there were huge safeguarding failings and because it happened on our watch, we resign uh, and take responsibility for it, I think history would have judged them much, much more kindly and the club as well. And, and I think that was a huge, huge error on their part. And their stories are intertwined because Bola um, has been chairman for 40 years and Grady came, as you said, in 83 and managed him. Was it four separate spells, one of them caretaker? Um, yes, I mean, it was, uh, um, I think it was two, um, um, certainly two spells. Um, I think he retired, first of all, from 83 to 2007, I think. And then he came back, like often happens, like trying to succeed Alex Ferguson. You know, it's extremely difficult to find a successor to match up. And he actually came back, I think it was 2009 to 2011. Yeah. But by then he was, he was pretty exhausted by football management. Um, but he then became technical director 
and ran the academy. So it is Dario Gradi's club. So when we do assess, yeah. and bear in mind that the head of the FA has said, yeah, this man's not going near a football club again, uh, uh, Dario Gradi. And yet you've got Danny Murphy and Dean Ashton and David Platt and Nick Powell. Everyone uh, is associated with crew. I suppose what, I, what the question should be is, what would your grandpa say? Yeah, I mean, I, this is the intriguing thing. I mean, Grady is is a complete enigma. He's a, he's a very strange man. He, he, even even his most ardent defenders will admit that he's a man completely obsessed by football. Um, he's a man who's happiest in the company of boys who obviously share his football obsession. Um, he doesn't seem to have formed close, intimate relationships. Uh, a strange man uh, in many ways, albeit a genius of a coach and at talent spotting. And unfortunately, you know, I'm forced to the conclusion that through the way he is, he very sadly, and obviously not meaning to, he facilitated Barry Bernal, um, because obviously Grady had boys to stay with him. You know, people like Danny Murphy, Rob Savage, who all say he was a complete gentleman, um, was extraordinarily kind and generous towards them. And there is absolutely no evidence, despite police investigations, journalists crawling all over him, that Grady ever laid a hand on any boy. And by dint of his character, it made him blind to people like Barry Bernal. And of course, it was perfect for Barry Bernal having a man like this as his boss, because it it enabled and facilitated him to have boys to stay. Very well said. And this is all talked about in Generation Game, which is your book that I must read and does go on the shelves of the Football Library. Just to finish this statement, we are truly sorry... Five letters should have been said three years ago. For any yes. abuse experienced because of Bernal's abhorrent, should have been said five years ago, conduct. Yeah. The club vehemently condemns all forms of abuse and reiterates its stance that it didn't do three years ago in ensuring lessons are learned and football is a safe place for all. Obviously, you have safeguarding issues that follow and no child will ever be abused again. And yet, uh, as I discussed um, recently... Uh, there was a kid who was released by Man City who took his own life. What do you want to see in safeguarding um, youngsters, especially when you have helicopter parents who will financially benefit from their child's success? Would you um, steer people away from professional football knowing what you know and uh, you don't even go to watch Crew Alexander anymore? That's how much it has taken out of your fandom. Well, to be honest, yeah, I have I have gone back to watching them, albeit not not regularly. I mean, when I wrote the book, I mean, you, you know, this is more than two years ago, and um, I was extremely angry um, with what happened, furious with the club, and I didn't actually go for eighteen months. But I have to say, my immense lifelong loyalty to the club has sort of meant that I couldn't stop I couldn't stop wanting the team to win I couldn't stop supporting the team I started going to away games again and I have been back to Gresty Road since and now with John Bowler going I, I think that that really will complete my return to the club because yeah. I, 
I, I do believe he was a stumbling block. Um, so, you know, just to clarify, to clarify my position um, vis-a-vis the club. But, I mean, in answer to your question, there is no doubt that safeguarding has to be front and foremost. Um, I mean, I don't want to, you know, give a boring list of things that have to be done there are people that you know more expert than me but safeguarding has to be front and foremost um because as you say there is so much money at stake now there is so much pressure on parents and young boys who who are talented to succeed and unfortunately where you get a lot of children congregating you will get paedophiles there is no doubt about that this is how these people operate obviously crew was vulnerable it was a small club and to save parents and the club money that's why they stayed with grady and banal Clearly, this can never be allowed again. If you ask me to say one thing, um, that has to be a complete no-no. But the extent of this problem is terrifying. I mean, just going back to Andy Woodward's book, um, what I found, um, I mean, it's a fantastic read. I mean, it's a very sad and sombre read. But what really chilled me to the bone was, I think, in the final chapter, he talks about going to Brazil, I think. Yeah. And realising that how football is a meal ticket out of poverty and what parents will do, um, they will just send their uh, child hundreds of miles away to go and live with some coach, etc., etc. And that's just Brazil. Think of all the other footballing countries in the world where this is going on. and Africa especially. And Africa is yet another example. And the potential for abuse worldwide and the amount of abuse that I'm sad to say must be um, going on in some of these places is absolutely horrifying. Yeah, and I just flicked at the last chapter. It is. Uh, They'll do anything to make it happen. That makes it too easy for them to fall prey to the Brazilian equivalents of Barry Bunnell. You'd hope that FIFA does something about this. And is it Ed Ahrens who wrote that book? about football's trade, trade of footballers. I can't remember the author, but it's just, it's human trafficking. Yes, yes, indeed. I mean, steps have been taken. I mean, UEFA has... Oh, it's Interpol. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and there has been some some clamping down. I mean, particularly the, the sort of trading of african boys um um is terrifying yes i mean i uh, i think you're absolutely right i mean uh, i mean fifa is the worldwide governing body they are the ones who have this this overarching reach throughout the world in terms of football and i i think they have to take much much more of a proactive role but we all know that um unfortunately Football governing bodies generally uh, have many, many weaknesses. Um, they've been prone to widespread corruption, and and very often um, the genuine good of the game, uh, the players involved in it, is not their first concern. Um, but yes, one can only hope and urge them uh, to do more on this front. Uh, we can't finish on a down. We always end with a flourish. Who who owns Crew? Who finances them? Well, now, um, 
things had taken um, a turn for the better. Um, up until just over a year ago, they were majority owned um, by one man, but he was bought out. The club is now owned new directors um, and also um, fans who helped to buy um, to raise £2 million to buy this person out. Oh, great. So the fans have a minority shareholder? They do. They now have a director on the board, um, a guy called Mark Bevan, which is the first time this has ever happened at Crewe. He's also chairman of the Supporters Association, the Railwaymen. And so it's taken a turn for the... For the um, for the better, uh, we mentioned the Railwayman podcast. That is the place to go for current news uh, on Crew Alex. Uh, I'm indebted to Stuart from the pod for passing me the details of the author of Generation Game, Charles Morris. Who calls you Charles? Who calls you Charlie? Oh, it's a complete mixture. It's mainly Charlie. Um, I'm Charlie on the book, so most people know me as that. But um, it's one of those names. I mean, to my family, I'm Chuck. Oh, um, God. No, um, as in Chuck. All right, Chuck. Yeah, indeed. All right, Chuck. Um, and, and, and a few people, um, it's Charles, um, but in the main, Charlie these days. I see. Well, I was told by my Uncle Ivo, who's a journalist, he was on the Express, call yourself Jonathan. It's professional. It's a full name. But I always say, well, Johnny Brick scans, scans really well. Yeah. So, so I yeah. like that. But. It I'm, does. It's a great I'm name. Delighted that you've chosen to uh, talk to me about your book, Generation Game, which you can get off that website where you get the books. Uh, what are you doing for the rest of the year? Oh, the rest of the year? Um, well, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> now you're retired. Well, good question. Um, yeah, my wife has, has spent um, the lockdown year writing a book about the psychology of work. So. I've been, in fact, editing that for her. That's coming out at the end of August. What's the title? Um, um, it's uh, it's a great title. It's 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 the um, the man who mistook his job for his life. Good. Uh, and that's by Naomi Shragai, and it's coming out in August. So, that's um, wicked. Um, well, I'm sure we'll sell an awful lot more copies than I have. <laughs> well, it's so, not a competition, but she'll win. Uh, oh, definitely, definitely, and deservedly so. Can and, you spell um, that surname? It's S-H-R-A-G-A-I, uh, pronounced Shragai. First name, Naomi, yeah, yeah. I will, I will make sure that I bookmark that book. Ah, and there's a website for her, NaomiShragai.com. So I will head to that now. I will edit this up, and it will be out in the... At the end of April, by which time, crew will have clambered into the playoff places, and it will be. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping crew play in the second tier once again, and they can keep hold of all their players. Uh, well, that would be wonderful. Thank you, Johnny. Yes, yes. I'm not too optimistic about keeping uh, our best players, but that's that's the story of crew. Yeah, that's um, the nature. Pessimism all the way. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Chuck. Take care of yourself. Okay, thanks very much.